the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. It's been a bit of a week. Bit of a weird week, hasn't it? A bit yes. of a weird week. Yes, I think we can't uh, not mention the Queen, can we? <laughs> no, not really. Um, I'm not sure I have anything particular to say apart from. Um, I guess we just uh, we'll we'll carry on as usual, but um, with um, wearing the black socks of respect. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I was uh, I was thinking about this. Of it, it, it was something that, in a way, wasn't a shock or a surprise. It kind of felt like it was coming, but it still felt a bit of a shock when it happened. And yeah, I think what's quite amazing is the is the one thing I'll say. I think what's quite amazing about the Queen is no matter who you talk to, pretty much whether, you know, whatever their views on the monarchy, everybody seemed to be slightly in awe of the Queen. Yeah. Do, do, you know, whatever their kind of political view on the monarchy or whatever. So I think that's true, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And it also makes me think, Ben, last week we were joking about this intro bit and what is the most difficult segue we could give each other. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think the death of the Queen probably peaks in the terms of I have no idea to segue into the episode. So we'll put a full stop and I'll just get into it, I think. That's probably the easiest thing. <laughs> Otherwise, that could be you could, tie, you could tie yourself up in linguistic knots. Indeed, indeed. So let's just get into it. So let me give you a bit of background. Uh, I was thinking of what to do for this episode a while ago actually and I was watching the uh when I in the summer when I was watching Wimbledon and the tennis now I, I'm not a massive tennis fan uh but you kind of watch Wimbledon don't you it's yeah. one of those ones you watch but I was watching one of the game's all-time greats Rafa Nadal playing oh yeah and anyone who's watched him play will notice that Nadal repeats a number of rituals during the game and in between points. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Um, I, oh, now you mention it, yes, I think so. Sort of um, different movements. Yeah, kind of touching his face, touching his nose, touching his hair. Yes. Uh, I think, like, uh, constantly using a towel in between points. That There's all this stuff going on. And I, I was watching it and I was thinking, I was just curious as to whether it was a compulsive thing or what it's to do with sports psychology or was it superstition so I thought I'd I'd investigate just because I was kind of wondering about that question so before we get on to Rafa talking about it um, he has when I did my research he's got an incredible list of rituals he goes through when he plays tennis just going to go through some of them he must I emphasise the word must, <laughs> take a freezing cold shower 44 minutes, 45 minutes before the match. He wears both socks at the exact same height, so he's quite obsessive about that. He will only carry one racket while walking on to the court. I know some of them carry bags and other stuff. The, it gets stranger. He must take off his jacket while jumping and facing the crowd. <laughs> okay. He jumps at the ne- at the net during the coin toss. Right. He sprints to the baseline for warm-ups. I think I mentioned it before. He must towel off between every point. This is this is very seems the next one feels very superstitious. He can only cross lines with his right foot 
and actively avoid stepping on lines in between play. That, uh, yeah, that is incredibly superstitious. There's more. Oh. <laughs> he adjusts his underpants before each serve. <laughs> Is that superstition or is... <laughs> Something else. Yeah. I mean, I adjust my underpants before starting this show, but yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Before podcasting. Um, he waits for his opponent to cross the net before he does during changeovers. He must take sips from two drinks during changeover. First an energy drink, then a water bottle. This bit's interesting. He then places the bottle in the exact same positions and faces the label towards the side he will play on. Okay. So if he's, you know, when they change ends, the bottles have to face in a different direction. And yeah. And constantly changes his shirt. Now, Nadal's denied that this has anything to do with superstition. In 2011, he wrote, if it was superstition, why would I keep doing the same thing over and over, whether I win or lose? Which is a fair point. Yeah. He goes on to say... It's something you start doing. It's like a routine. When I do these things, it means I'm focused. I'm competing. It's something I don't need to do, but when I do it, it means I'm focused. Okay, so it's like it's a cue for his like his being to say, this matters. I think so, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I was wondering, I was thinking about it as well. You You must get to a point where... Even if you don't think it's superstition, it probably turns into a superstition because mm. you might start to think to yourself, if I don't do this, what's going to happen, I mm. guess? Mm. So it does seem that Nadal's rituals are more about sports psychology rather than superstition, but it did spur me on to dig a bit into other sports superstitions and rituals. So let's stick with tennis for a moment and Serena Williams, one of the all-time great tennis players who's just bowed out of the game. Uh, I, I, I like the fact she didn't want to use the, the word retired. I can't remember the exact word she used, but she, she was kind of stepping away or something. I think she said withdrawn from the sport. Withdrawn from the sport, yeah. yeah. But, you know, amazing performer, winner of 23 Grand Slams. Now, Serena has a superstition <laughs> of not changing her socks during a tournament. Oh, what, all the way through? She would wear the same pair of socks for every game and would only wash them after being knocked out of the tournament or winning it. Um, I can't think of a reason for that, but I mean, okay? I mean, it might put off your opponent if you're, when you're in the dressing room and you're, you're, your socks are a bit stinky. Okay. I mean, I would have thought the first thing you'd want to do is get those socks off and put some new ones on. Yeah. But if you think about it, if she's won 23 grand slams, so that's what, probably what, two, three, two weeks, two, I don't know how long Wimbledon is, two or three weeks, right? Two weeks, yeah. Two, so two weeks of wearing exactly the same socks and then you win the, the final match and yeah, they can have a wash. Hmm. That's a bit gross. Certainly a money-saving exercise, I guess. Yeah, Um yeah, okay, that is odd. I wonder how that started. Yeah, I don't know. I did try and dig into that, but I, I couldn't work it out. But again, it's almost like you must get to that point where you might think to yourself, if I don't do it, what's going to happen? Um, before we look at some other sports, it's also worth mentioning another tennis legend, Goran Ivanisevic. Certainly, he is one of the most superstitious tennis players. Uh 
He, a bit like Nadal, this is interesting, when changing ends, he would take great pains not to step on any of the lines. This stepping on the line thing is odd. I mean, it's like what kids do on paving yeah, stones. Yeah, don't, don't step on the cracks in the pavement. Arguably, it, well, that kind of makes sense, because if there are cracks in the pavement, it's probably uneven and you could trip over. But mm, mm. I mean, the only thing I did think is, you know, there's all that thing about, you know, we use chalk dust. Uh, McEnroe always used to go about the chalk dust, didn't he? Mm. Whether there's a feeling that if you tread on the lines, it will make the chalk dust less i don't know but it's a weird one but uh certainly at least two tennis players have that superstition um so if goran even is this is interesting as well if he won a match he would repeat everything he had done the day before (laughs) this included eating the same food at the same restaurants and watching the same programs on tv this funny He once wrote on his website, it got very boring. And during one Wimbledon campaign, he watched the Teletubbies every morning. (laughs) Because that's what he'd been watching the day before, so. I wonder, well, the thing is, if you know that that's what your routine is, maybe pick something that isn't the Teletubbies just (laughs) in case you do have to watch it. You might as well watch something really good, mightn't you, every day, just to make sure. Of course, what he should do is watch Groundhog Day. That would be... Oh, that would mess with your brain. Yeah, yeah, that, but that would be the thing to watch. Or live, what's it, live, live, die, repeat, or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's enough tennis for, for, for my liking. Let's move on to football, or I guess soccer, if you're our listeners in so the US. Sure. We're going to start with a proven winner who is back at Manchester, Manchester United. Uh, well, at least at time of recording, that's where he is, because there has been some debate about it. Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo insists on wearing the lucky number seven on his shirt, uh, wherever whichever club he's at. He also has some other superstitious rituals. These are really strange, actually. When travelling with the team by plane, he insists on being the first off the plane. That doesn't sound weird in itself. No. However, when travelling by coach, he has to be the last person off. Ooh. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I used to like being the last person off the school coach. There's something magical about it. I don't know what it is. And uh, Well, yeah, maybe. Would I... Yo, I'm kind of with him, actually, thinking about it. You kind of want to be the first one off the plane, don't you? But I'm 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 coming round to your way of thinking. I do want to be the last off the coach. I quite like it because you you sort of walk down and it's that enormous vehicle and you're the last one in there. Mm. But it ceases to be a thing when you pass the age of eight, I think. Yeah, or <laughs> lucky number seven for Ronaldo. Yeah, quite. So another superstition again to do with feet. Um, when Ronaldo walks onto the pitch, his right foot has to be the first to touch the pitch so he's very conscious that it's not his left foot this one i'm not sure about this one i've seen ronaldo play a lot of times and i've never noticed this it's this strange story about his hair apparently he has to change his hairstyle at half time so for example if he's got a left side parting in his hair 
he does that for the first half. <laughs> and then for the second half, he makes it a right side party. <laughs> I've never noticed that. <laughs> I've never noticed it. I think certainly uh, now he hasn't really got one of his ha- those hairstyles where it could work for him. So, so who knows? I guess his superstitions are working for him. He's arguably one of the one of, if not the best footballer of all time, right? Yeah. Well, let's move on to a Dutch footballing legend, Johan Cruyff, Ooh. who had success as a player and a manager. I mean, I don't know if... I, I remember watching a bit of Cruyff as a kid. He was an incredible footballer to watch. He kind of embodied that beautiful game thing, kind of grace, elegance, style. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But he has got a superstitious ritual, which doesn't really fit that image, I think, or he did. As a player, he had many superstitions. One was before a match, he would slap his goalkeeper, Gert Balls, in the stomach. <laughs> I'm so pen I'm, I'm glad I got that sentence the right way round. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to, to smack Gert. No. Gert's stomach in the balls, would you? Um so after punching Gert, his teammate, he would then walk over to the opposition half and spit chewing gum at their goal. <laughs> <laughs> In one match for Ajax, he smacks his goalkeeper as usual and headed to the opposition half to spit his chewing gum at their goal. However, Cruyff realised he forgot to bring his gum. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and his team ended up losing the match unexpectedly 4-1. Oh, no. No. <laughs> yeah. So it was working, damn it. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one, though, isn't it? I, I, how do you come up with that one? What I must do is punch my goalkeeper in the stomach, then walk over to the opposition goal and spit chewing gum into their goal. I don't know. It's very strange behaviour. Ben, do you want to hear a story about the Australian soccer team and a witch doctor's curse. Of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So the story goes that in 1969, the Australian football team, soccer team, if you're in America, were having a series of bad results. And they were due to play Zimbabwe in Africa for one of their qualification games for the 1970s World Cup final. Some of the Australian players had heard about a witch doctor. So this is in, they're they're there to play Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe are playing at home. The the Australian players heard about a witch doctor and some of them suggested they enlist his help to put a curse on their opponents. The witch doctor's services were engaged and they performed certain rituals, including, this is weird, burying bones near the goalposts. I don't know what bones they were. And actively cursing the Zimbabwe opposition. Oh, well, oh, like cursing, cursing. Yeah, well, I don't know if it was swearing. I think it was more, you know, you will perform badly type stuff. Oh, that's not, that's not in the spirit of the game. It really isn't. Well, it, it is, it is a cautionary tale, actually, Ben. So initially it seemed to have worked. The Australian team beat Zimbabwe 3-1. However, there was a spooky twist in the tale. After the game, the witch doctor came back and demanded a thousand pounds for his services. Oh, of course he did. 
but the team refused to pay. Oh, no, you shouldn't do that. Can't do that. No. The witch doctor then reversed the curse. Oh. And the Australian team went on to be knocked out of the qualification stage after losing to Israel. Oh, you got this all wrong, guys. It takes another weird turn. There was an incredibly dark period for the Aussie national team after that. They failed to qualify for a number of World Cups. And after another defeat in 2001, two of the players involved in the original curse decided something needed to be done. So they, somebody called John Saffron and Johnny Warren, returned to Mozambique, went to the pitch where the original curse was cast. They enlisted the help of a new witch doctor and performed a number of rituals to lift the curse on their beloved national team. In 2006, Australia did qualify for the World Cup finals and reached the second round. So they managed to reverse the curse. But don't be messing with curses in sport. That is, I just think that's really rude. Yeah. (laughs) It's really rude. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. It shouldn't be about that. Well, also to go to the trouble, because I was thinking about it, this would have been on Zimbabwe's home pitch right yeah so they must the australian team must have i don't know when it was they must have been doing some um practice on the actual pitch found this witch doctor when no one was looking this guy comes and buries some bones and curses the other the opposition no no completely unacceptable no completely. well they, they sort of got their comeuppance in a way but yeah so this this kind of superstition and supernatural this is just this is people reaching for something that will give them either a mental boost or some kind of undefinable paranormal boost. Yeah, and and I, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's I'm not sure they would admit it was a paranormal burst. I mean, in the case of the curse, but I'm thinking back about Rafa Nadal and. You know, he didn't like the idea that people were saying it was a superstition um, or a compulsion. Um, but it it's almost pitching it as some kind of sports psychology seems to be the way. So I think it's a bit of a blurry mixture, isn't it, of superstition, potentially belief in the paranormal and maybe wrapped up in this feeling of sports psychology. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> it's just occurred to me that's so weird that there's there's a, there's a witch doctor contacting some spirits and the spirits <laughs> are like so are you asking us to like make someone better oh what is about football <laughs> <sighs> really <laughs> fine i guess so you'll have to speak to the sports department i'll just put you on hold <laughs> do we have a sports department <laughs> that's i just think that's yeah, I sorry, I've already said it. I hate that whole thing. It's, yeah, it's a cautionary tale, definitely. Well, let's move on to a section that I'm calling bodily fluids. You're calling bodily <laughs> fluids. Am I allowed to rename it? <laughs> I'm not going to enjoy this, am I? Uh, well, well, we'll come on to the bodily fluids in a minute. I hope we won't. <laughs> I'm going to start with another football stroke soccer curse. And that's of the English team. Birmingham City 
Have you ever heard, <laughs> no, you ever heard no, this story? I thought you were, no, I, wasn't, I didn't like that was where you were going to go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the story starts in 1903 when the Birmingham team found a new ground for the club. However, they had a problem. In order to start work on building their stadium, they had to evict a group of travellers who were living on the land. The story goes that the travellers were evicted and then put a curse on the club. Now, after Birmingham finally moved to their new stadium, the club's fortunes degenerated. In 1908, at the end of a poor first season in their new stadium, they were relegated to the second division. During World War II, the ground was hit by bombs and remained closed until 1940, the only club in the country that this happened to. All the other clubs kept using their grounds during the war. In 1942, the main stand was destroyed by a fire. This is, this is nuts. A small fire had started, really small fire, and a fire officer at the ground, thinking he was throwing a bucket of water oh, no. to put it out, realised too late that the bucket was actually full of petrol. I knew you were going to say that, but at the same time, I was thinking, who is keeping buckets of petrol? Uh, yeah, I thought that, unless they've got a generator for the lights or something. But a bucket of petrol at a sports ground, that yeah. is literally, like, sitcom Yeah, well, territory. unless unless it was paranormally changed from water to petrol. <laughs> Some kind of SO-Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is... That is, uh, on, there's so many things about that that are bizarre, not just the petrol thing, but also when you pick up a bucket of petrol, it stinks. Yeah, yeah. But then also his face when he chucks the petrol at the fire. Well, he's a fire officer. Can you imagine the <laughs> ribbon he got? I hope he was all right, but oh my goodness. Yeah, no one, no one was, was, was killed or injured. But Okay. Um, <laughs> It's just hilarious to think that when he got back to the fire station, <laughs> his people were going, sorry, what happened again? Well, I picked up this bucket of water. It was only a small fire. I thought I could put it out with a bucket of water. But unfortunately, it was petrol. And then the whole, the whole stand burnt down. And then forevermore, people were making jokes about adding fuel to the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, at one point in 1980, this is bizarre as well, Crucifixes were hung from the floodlights in order to help lift the curse. Were they? Yep. It didn't work and the team were relegated once again that season. And this, Ben, is where the bodily fluids come in. Oh, no. In the 1990s, the club had a new manager called Barry Fry, who decided it was time to lift this curse once and for all. The story goes he contacted the travelling community for advice. Barry, Fly, Barry Fry explains what happens next. We called in this bloke to lift the curse and he told me that the only way to fix it was to go and pee in all the four corners of the ground. <laughs> he said while laughing <laughs> under his breath. <laughs> Barry goes on. I'm not normally superstitious, but after three months I was willing to try anything. <laughs> <laughs> Of course he was. So I went and took a leak on all four corner flags. <laughs> he goes on to say, it took me a while. It's not easy. Sorry, what? It took me a while. It's not easy. Yes, I quote. I've had more weeds in an hour when I've been in the pub. I know, but, you know, 
<laughs> Hopefully there were no there were there were no people in the ground at the moment. Can you imagine if it was a packed match day? Sorry, I've just got a what the hell is he doing? Peeing all four corners of the ground. Well, I I think probably he should have explored the technicalities because if I were him, what I would have done is, for example, filled up a washing up liquid bottle with one session of weeing and then taken it to all four corners and dispensed oh, it from the bottle. See, then you, you had a plan. I like it. But it's, it's quick. It's easy. It's arguably less flashery. Yeah. yeah. And probably just more practical. And also you can get away without saying, lads, I'm off to pee in every corner. Yeah. So what happened then? Well... <laughs> Barry's selfless act of urination. Selfless. <laughs> selfless act, yeah. Of urination did initially work. The team went on to win seven of their next ten games. However, unfortunately, they were still relegated at the end of the season and Barry lost his job. And this is where we get the expression piss poor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I did wonder to make another gag. I wondered if the travellers that Barry contacted were literally taking the piss. Of course they were. And that is a good gag. <laughs> and what it also reminded me of a story I heard quite recently of a, a tourist who was visiting Japan and decided to get a tattoo. <laughs> and she said to the Japanese tattoo artist, Give me some nice words in Chinese. Oh. And when the tourists got home, they discovered the kanji tattooed on their body just said, I don't know, I don't speak Chinese. <laughs> of course, of course. So, yeah, I um, I mean, I kind of admire Barry for trying it, but it, it, it didn't work. He must have been so gutted when they got relegated and he was fired and he peed in all four corners of the stadium. So did, did they ever get the curse lifted? Well, I think they Well, I remember they did They did get up to the premiership at one stage, but they were relegated again. I, I, I'm not sure. But it's a, big, it's a big city, and you would think they would be a premiership team. I would imagine their, uh, their lack of being in the, the premiership is probably more down to who owns the club and funding and all that kind of stuff. They seem to be the main factors rather than a curse from 1903. But mm -hmm, who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, from <laughs> weeing football managers, let's move on to vomiting hockey players. <laughs> <laughs> Don't anyone say I can't do a segue, Ben. Oh, I've, I was just going to say that's beautiful. <laughs> this is the story of Glenn Hall probably well known to our North American listeners. Lots of people have played at Glen Hall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Glenn was a legendary goalkeeper in the National Hockey League. One unfortunate nickname he acquired was Mr Vomit. <laughs> he became convinced that his team would not win unless he was physically sick before a game. Oh, come on! I don't know how this happened, but... This superstition became so strong that trainers would keep a special bucket by the bench for Hall to vomit into. He, he had his own bucket, basically. <laughs> but you've got to have some perks for that job. Yeah. The bucket saw plenty of action and became part of Hall's pre-game ritual. His belief in this weird superstition became obsessive. 
this is mad. He often tried to talk his coach out of playing him if he hadn't managed to throw up before a game. Ridiculous. <laughs> Stop being ridiculous. Now, I believe Hall holds the record for starting 502 consecutive games. Oh, That's a lot of vomit, right? Oh. I don't even want to think about it. That's horrible. Yeah, that can't have been good for him physically or... Well, it wouldn't have been good for him physically. It's no. It's a weird thing to kind of obsess about, I guess. Well, let's move on again. Let's move on from bodily fluids. We've had enough of that for one episode. Do you agree? Oh, God, no more. <laughs> now, Ben, a couple of weeks ago, you did an episode about numbers. Yes. It was really good. And we focused... Uh, on the incredible significance and the importance of the number three. Yeah. Well, one star of baseball, Larry Walker, also also has an obsession with the number three. He wore the number 33 on his shirt for the whole of his career. He was married on the 3rd of November at 3.33. He once bought 33 tickets for disadvantaged children to watch him play in Montreal, of course, they sat in section 33 of the stadium. He would wake up at 33 minutes past the hour every day. So no matter what time he had to get up, you know, whether it was 8.33, 7.33, 6.33, he would always set his alarm at uh, 33. <laughs> right. Um, there are stories that suggested he would not leave his Denver-based team because of its area code containing the number three and he convinced the phone company to give him a telephone number which had as many threes in it as possible and i guess because he was a big sports star they they did yeah <clears throat> yeah i can sort of no he still doesn't make any more sense than anything else yeah well in 2021 walker was inducted into baseball's hall of fame before the ceremony in his speech Walker's weird association with the number three continues. He said, I've been waking up at 3.30 in the morning overnight while I've been here. I've been here for three days now, and every time I go to bed at 3.30, at 3.30 I'm waking up, and the acceptance speech is in my head again. There is a lovely, loving touch to the end of this. His team, the Colorado Rockies have now retired the number 33 from their team, so no other player will ever wear that number. Oh, that's quite nice. That's really nice, isn't yeah. it? I know there's a few football clubs who've done that. I think, isn't it West Ham have retired the number nine, I think? Oh, that's a nice Bobby touch. Moore, yeah, it's lovely. We've talked a lot about individual sports people's superstition, but there are some examples where the whole sport itself has some strange superstitions. So I thought we'd up our game and have a look at some whole sports. And Another let, beautiful segue. There you go. Let's start with motor racing and NASCAR. And let's start with the colour green. Green cars are considered bad luck and teams generally avoid this colour on their liveries. Not all teams, but it is generally regarded as a colour you can't use. The superstition is said to have started in 1910 after a car left the track in Syracuse and killed a number of bystanders. Ten years later, Gaston Chevrolet, 
yes, the brother <laughs> of the car company's founder. Oh, wow. Was killed in a crash in a race in California, solidifying the superstition that green cars are unlucky. It's a damn good name, though. Gastron Chevrolet. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's perfect, isn't it? Another NASCAR superstition revolves around money. Not prize money or salaries, but the carrying of $50 bills. Drivers avoid carrying $50 bills. Now, there is some debate about why this superstition started. The best explanation I can find, and the most logical, is connected with a legend of the sport called Joe Weatherly, who was killed at Riverside in 1964. Two $50 bills were found in his breast pocket, and since then, $50 bills were deemed unlucky by drivers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there are other stories that explain the $50 bill, but that was the one that seemed most likely to me. Mm-hmm. The next one is really weird. And I never knew this. No peanut shells are permitted on the track at NASCAR races. Uh, Which does seem a little random, I'll grant you. I mean, it's a very specific thing presumably you don't want anything on the track do you no no but they even go as far as they will only sell shelled peanuts at racetracks many tracks will not sell peanuts that are still in their shells okay and fans are not supposed to bring them in to the i don't know to the the stadiums not stadium is it to the track it does seem random, but this racing law suggests the superstition goes back to before World War II, where races would be held at fairgrounds. Mechanics would work on the cars beneath the grandstands, and spectators would discard their peanut shells, which would often drop into the garage and into the cars themselves. Ah. When fatal crashes occurred, the wreckage would often be littered with peanut shells. Ah, Okay. So peanuts have taken on this harbinger of doom status and superstition. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that, that is kind of logical, yeah. <clears throat> but I, I, you know, it's amazing that even now, like you say, in all kind of motor... I mean, I'm a big Formula One fan, you know. I think, I think they um, stopped a session the other week because there were pigeons on the side of the track. So, you know, like you say, kind of anything on the track is deemed... Uh, Unlucky, but I, I think to go as far as they won't sell peanuts in their shells at many of the venues is amazing. Yeah. What fascinates me about that NASCAR example as well, Ben, is that because they apply to the whole sport rather than the individual, I kind of get why individual sports people get locked into those rituals and superstitions, you know. And as we've said, it might be as much to do with psychology as the paranormal or a bit of a, a mix of the two. So if, I was thinking Tiger Woods. He's generally known for wearing a red shirt when playing golf. Now, explanations have ranged why he does this from his mother believing it was a powerful colour to it was the colour short shirt he wore when he won his first major title. And like we said, I guess sports people like him, if you don't wear it, that might start to play on your mind, right? Mm. So the, the easiest way to not let the psychology mess with your head is just wear a red shirt, right? Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to whole sports having superstitions, the motivations and origins are often not so clear. So if we stick with golf, 
I was looking in some of the weird golf superstitions there are. Um, and I, I'm not really a golf player. You ever played much No, golf? I've done it once. I was terrible. <laughs> I, I, it reminded me when I was writing this bit, when I, I was working for a broadcaster. And uh, I think we were trying to get the rights for some golf thing. And uh, a few of us were invited to, I can't remember what, um, golf course it was but it was one of the best you know what I mean it, mm. was, it was where they have big professional tournaments and stuff and they said oh you can come and play around and they said uh, but you have to be you know experienced golf players <laughs> I think about five of us thought oh that would be a nice day out and I was like well I've, I've played a couple of times but I'm terrible it's like fine just say you are a good golf player so we turned up. I remember turning up. I made a joke about, I haven't got my own bats. Can I have some bats? <laughs> that didn't go down well. Um, and we go to tee off at the first tee and we noticed the guy standing there and he was obviously the head groundsman just keeping an eye on us. And, you know, the first guy up had played a bit of golf and hit a really good shot. And when it came, when it came to my turn, <laughs> let's put it this way, I teed off the turf the lump of turf which was probably the size of a small plate went farther than my ball did <laughs> and this guy was just in the groundsman was in complete panic thinking oh my god they're just gonna hack this course to bits <laughs> did, did you I, I i slightly improved um and i was a bit conscious about not you know <laughs> nicking up the turf i think it's more of a worry if you're on the the tees isn't it but yeah no it was uh <laughs> it, I, I wasn't great let's put it that way <laughs> but let, let's let's look at some of these uh superstitions that golf as a whole has and i would not i've heard of some of these but not all of these so after a good putt you should tap the inside of the cup with your ball if you don't it will bring you bad luck for the rest of the round I've seen people do that. Yeah. Never keep golf balls in your pocket. Um, that's a superstitious thing, but it's also probably a practical thing, right? It kind of, if you're swinging, you might catch on it. So mm. I'm not sure that counts as a superstition. That's just a good idea, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So uh, this one's good. Never use the same ball after you birdie a hole. You were supposed to retire that ball and use a new one. Hmm. Because there's a kind of feeling it won't you won't have the same luck again out of that ball. It's done its job, basically. I see. Um, if you take a club out of your bag, it's unlucky to put it back without using it. So you need to be really careful which one you take out. I hadn't heard of this one either. If you have an unlucky club in your bag, you are supposed to leave it in the bag and never take it out. The superstition that is if you remove it from the bag, bad luck will spread to another club. Yeah. I mean, that's the way luck works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, finally, back to the colour red. There is a superstition that you should never use a red tea. It's said it represents anger and aggression and it will mess with your game. Now, I thought that was just, yeah, that's a weird thing. But uh, I then dug a bit deeper. Interestingly, in terms of the colour red in sport, there is some science around the colour. Is there? Yes. I found an article in the New York Times 
that says wearing red increases the chance of victory in sports, says British researchers. Across, I'll read the article because it's quite good. Across a range of sports, we find that wearing red is consistently associated with a higher probability of winning, says Dr. Russell Hill and Dr. Robert Barton. They're researchers in evolutionary anthropology at the University of Durham, and they wrote a paper that appeared in the journal Nature. The research began a year ago with a hunch based on observing the animal kingdom, where red coloration is often associated with male dominance. Dr. Barton said in an interview that zebra finches, which are those little birds, fitted with red lead bands, tend to become dominant, while those given blue bands are more submissive. In humans, anger reddens the face, which may send signs of fierceness, or a signal of fierceness. The two researchers studied results of the 2004 Summer Olympics to eliminate the possibility of home team advantage and found that contestants in taekwondo, boxing and wrestling were issued red or blue protective gear at random. It's almost as if somebody designed an experiment for us, said Dr Barton. Dr Hill said the evidence of beneficial effects had emerged with combatants wearing red winning six out of ten bouts in especially close matches. They say even we were surprised at how consistently the results have been coming out across a range of sports we have looked at. Uh, They have taken a preliminary look at soccer as well and found that in the Euros 2004 International Soccer Tournament, the five teams that wore predominantly red shirts did better. They say this does not mean a bad team can reverse its fortunes by wearing red. Dr Barton said the study applies only to closely matched opponents. If you're hopeless, he said, then wearing red isn't going to make you start winning. Now there there is there is a skeptical view to this. <laughs> I like I just I included this because I thought it was a really good quote. In London, a representative of, of William Hill, a leading betting company, called the study absolute rubbish. <laughs> 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 they said there is no such thing as an equally matched opponent in any human activity, and there are too many individual factors to pronounce a trait like colour decisively. Well, yeah, that I see what they're saying there about humans, but birds are dominance. Surely, that's a much more equal place to study the yeah, effect. Yeah, yeah. But I'd like. I'm just imagining. Does does the bird look down on his leg and go, brilliant red? <laughs> yeah, I'm red. Got the red. I'm going to go. I'm winging it. <laughs> I'm going to go and kick some bird ass. Yeah, yeah. And the blue ones are like, oh, oh god, they've put the blue on. I've got to go cow in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> But it is it is interesting that years ago, I and I wouldn't be able to find it now. It was in a magazine, it was a print media. It was when I was at university, but they were talking about um, it was like um, a marketing thing, and they were talking about significance of colours. And the author was giving credit to the colour red for making Marlboro cigarettes so successful, right? Um, because he was sort of talking about the combination of the arrow and the red makes it like a, a, a very powerful brand and um you know you you put that against like a blue packet of cigarettes they don't do so well obviously that's a different time and cigarettes are all 
green now. Yeah. But red, it does, you do sort of, you say things like you see red when you're angry, but that's mm. probably because of the face and stuff. And I, but the, I don't, I don't understand unless it was a psychological thing, why red, but then the birds. So yeah, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if it, if it is associated with anger and aggression, it might make an opponent feel a little bit intimidated, maybe. I don't know, yeah, in a sporting sense. I like the fact that Dr. they said in the article, Dr. Barton acknowledges that the work might not hold up to further analysis. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. He said all scientific results are a bit provisional, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, they do need to go on and be peer-reviewed, but yeah. he doesn't sound that confident in his findings. no. no. Did he maybe just get two birds and just go, go on then? And then half an hour later, she went, he looks a bit arsy. Uh, that's, that's that done. Uh, well, I, I wondered whether when he started the interview, he was wearing a red jacket and then he took it off and he had a blue shirt on and he went a bit more passive about the whole thing. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Okay. Highly dubious. Well, I'm going to close with one of the most extreme and disastrous uses of superstition in sport that I found. It involves an African football stroke soccer team called Midlands Portland Cement. Strange name for a team, but there you go. <laughs> Did they have a sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> I bloody hope so with that name. The team had been on a losing streak and their coaching staff thought they needed to do something to change their luck. They came up with the idea of taking the squad for a cleansing swim in the Zambezi River. Now, the Zambezi is known for its particularly strong currents. <laughs> it's also vested with hippos and crocodiles. <laughs> so, you know, not, not the best start, I would say. Now, the coach's plan that this luck-changing swim would improve their team's fortunes did not have the desired effect. Oh, this is terrible. One of their star players drowned during the swim and the team's losing streak continued in their next game. Right. So if you think that... I mean, you know, we talk about being in the meeting. Yes. There's a coaching meeting going, what we need to change the team's luck is take them for a swim in the amazing waters of the Zambezi <laughs> and somebody at the corner went well there's quite strong currents and there are hippos and crocodiles it's, it'll be fine it'll be perfect for us and one of your star player ends up drowning and he doesn't have any effect whatsoever why were they doing it anyway yeah I think there was something about the kind of healing waters and that you know, I, I guess a bit like the Ganges, that there's you know the river was seen as kind of having some kind of healing, calming power that would you know help the team. I guess they thought it might be a nice team building exercise as well to yeah, go for a bit yeah. of a swim, but it ended disastrously. Not yeah, not ideal, not ideal. So all of this stuff it does straddle the kind of psychology stroke calling in of perhaps some spiritual assistance doesn't it that's kind of that's the that's the world we're kind of dabbling in well i think i yeah i think there is a yeah there is a bit we did we did a episode a while back on luck and i think 
some of this is slightly superstitious because it does fall into that luck thing, that feeling of if I do wash my socks, then I might have a stroke of bad luck. I don't know if that's... It's not fully paranormal, that, is it? It's not saying some paranormal entity is going to come and make you fail. So I think it is psychology, but based in a slight superstition rather than a full-on paranormal superstition, if you know what I mean. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, no, it does make sense. It does. But where you get to, you know, the stories of the Australian football team, you know, getting a witch doctor in and the curse that was uh, put on Birmingham City Football Club, then I think it does, doesn't it? It does tap into the paranormal or if the Zambezi River is seen to have these kind of almost mystical qualities that almost all logic goes out the window we're just going to do this thing like I said somebody's going well there's really strong currents and there's hippos and crocodiles do we really want to do this and it's though it's the magical river that's going to sort everything out you know? yeah so yeah. I, I think that's what's fascinating about it and it kind of ties me back to how it started really I was when I was watching Rafa Nadal play tennis and have all his rituals I didn't think all oh, this were turn into an episode I just did a bit of research to find out what they were because I was curious whether it was almost a compulsion whether it was a pure superstition or whether it was something to do with sports psychology and even though I think Rafa Nadal says it's almost totally sports psychology I wonder if some of this is almost a mixture of all of those things and all of those things almost feed off each other a little bit and stop you changing those routines. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing that it makes me think of in within the world of sport is um, another th- another factor which sort of straddles the psychology and the paranormal. Have you come across the third man effect? No. So... Um, it was most famously reported um, when Ernest Shackleton, Frank Worsley, Tom Crean, um, they were having to um, reach a whaling station and they basically they had to um, do uh, like a big, uh, a big sort of crossing of some mountains. And um, the, the, the first time the third man effect that I know of was mentioned was when they were interviewed about it later on, Three, the three people said it felt like there were four of us and there was a fourth guiding person. And wow. um, Shackleton went on to talk about that. And there are some sports people who have credited this third man effect. So um, racing car drivers who feel like they, they're going to make a dangerous pass suddenly feel like there is somebody else there in the car with them, guiding their hand. The same when someone is making an impossible run in um, cricket, they reference this third man, and it's somebody that sort of almost, it moves their legs in a way that they didn't know was possible, or it guides their hands in a way they didn't know was possible. And there is a book all about this, and there are some people who say, yeah, you know, it's almost like um, Philip K. Dick's Damon, you know, the person Mm. who is driving you, who's doing this and other people say no it's like a psychological thing it's linked to you know when um 
you have an accident in a car and time seems to slow down and you have time to apply the brakes and put yourself into the position. It's the same effect kicking in. You're just so focused. But this third man effect is another... It feels like it falls into that realm of like paranormal or the brain. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You know, and I know you mentioned racing drivers there, you know. I don't know if this ties in, but I know like people like Sebastian Vettel always name their cars. They almost give mm. them a personality, um, which kind of ties into that. It, it also made me wonder if there's been any studies on are, are certain sports more prone to superstition and, you know, almost uh, even if it's a loose belief in the paranormal. So I was thinking about tennis is a good one because... There is so much psychology involved because it's a one person playing the sport, mm. but you have these kind of advantages and disadvantages. You're expected to hold your serve, right? And, you know, it's seen as a good thing, a big thing to break somebody's serve. And you have lots of time in between each point to kind of dwell on things. And, you know, I don't, I've never played sport at any kind of level, but I remember playing tennis when I was a teenager with my cousin and we were both quite competitive and it'd be interesting how your mental state would change you'd lose a couple of points and you'd almost feel yourself getting deflated and you know you had to do yourself up a bit to get kind of focused and back in the game so yeah I get that Nadal thing I mean things like football it's it but it makes me think in football and things there is no real time to think is there you're just doing it so it's weird that there are still big superstitions in those sports where there's no time to think. NASCAR, if you're driving a car at, you know, hundreds of miles an hour, you've got no time to think about these things. But maybe that's where this kind of third man is stronger as well, in those sports where you don't have time. Well, maybe if you have the superstition before you don't have the time to think, it clears your brain. Mm. So you're not thinking, if you think that everything else is right, mm. you know, then you can just get on and do it. Mm. Like, I still think... You know, there's lots of superstitions that we have day to day. You know, somebody will say, you know, oh, touch wood, this will work. And that has its origins in um, actual medieval wood spirits. Yeah, they seem to be good. So you touch the wood to get their luck. And then there's others, you know, like saluting the magpie and stuff like that. And people don't tend to know where they come from, but they do them. Mm. And then if you're with somebody who, for example, salutes a magpie, I've got a friend who always does it. When they do it, you sort of think, well, I hope they don't have all the luck. <laughs> so you start, well, <laughs> oh, I, better, well, do I better salute the magpie. <laughs> right, then the right, next right. time you see a magpie, you're like, I'm going, oh, I better salute it then because I did the other one. <laughs> and now you end up, you find yourself 10 weeks in saluting bloody magpies <laughs> and you've no idea why you're doing it, and, but you're terrified to stop. <laughs> I was salute. I was saluting the insurance claim. I was saluting a magpie when I hit the tree. <laughs> touch wood. Car, yeah, yeah. Literally, I touch wood and salute a magpie. Now I'm in A and E. Don't salute that. That's a wagtail, not a magpie. Yeah. Damn it. Yes, but some some really extreme ones and some weird ones, but. Um, I don't think I've ever had that kind of... I mean, like I said, I've never played sport to that degree, but even in life, I haven't really got... I don't really follow those those kind of superstitions or rituals in that way, I don't think. No. No, I don't. Um, 
No, I, I, I think it's one of those things. If you were to get into it, you'd have to, you'd have to always, you'd have to always do it. Although, although, I'm more worried though. I'm more worried about if I start doing them and then I don't. It's a bit like the lottery numbers, right? Yeah. yeah. It's why I always go for a lucky dip at the lottery because it's like, well, if those numbers come up the one week I don't do it, then that is just going to be mentally kind of. It's going to be a killer for me. So, you know, maybe that's why I avoid them. If it's like the one time I, you know, I'm going for a job interview or doing something major and I don't do it, then, you know, does that spell disaster? Which is a super, weirdly, ironically, is a bit of a superstition in its own way. My superstition is I don't like to do superstitions. Yeah, have you ever done that thing where you throw a, a ball of paper into the bin and go, if I get it in... I'm going to win the lottery. <laughs> and then you don't get in, we're in and go, all right, sorry. If I don't get it in this time, I'm going to win the lottery. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just a repetitive cycle of all the activity that yeah. is like that. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably evolutionarily advantageous because if you do something that makes you live a bit longer, if you do something yeah, that uncovers works. some fruit or something, yeah. then... Yeah, you don't have to understand why. You, you don't have to understand why. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's exactly. really, really true. Well, like I said, I wasn't expecting to do an episode on sport and I wasn't quite expecting so many kind of bizarre and interesting stories, but yeah. Very good. Thank you. I'm, uh, well, as I imagine you are as well, I'm just going to go to the playing field in, and we in all four corners. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, B and Ben do we in all four corners of the studio before we start. It's, it's really terrible recording. In here. Now we're using your house. Your wife's going to be really annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. We still haven't told her. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're blaming the dog. Um, <laughs> we will. Uh, we'll we will we. see. Yeah, you see what we did there. Yeah. We'll see you next week on the Quantum Mechanics. <laughs> see you later. Bye. Quantum mechanics.